This is Speaking of Writers on Capital Region Sunday. I'm Steve Richards, and Dean Koontz's new book, Devoted, 100,000 Years of the Human Dog Bond, leads to an evolutionary leap in a relationship that will change the world for the better. That is, if events in a Utah lab don't first change it for the worse. Devoted is a breathless story of suspense and terror, and also about the many ways people become devoted to one another and to dogs, and dogs to them. Dean Kuntz is the author of many number one bestsellers. His books have sold over 500 million copies in 38 languages. And the Times of London has called him a literary juggler, makes his home in Southern California. And joins me now here on Speaking of Writers. Dean, welcome to this program. Well, thanks for having me there. So where did the idea for Devoted come from? Well, I think there were several impetuses there, but one is having had three golden retrievers uh, as companions and uh, being fascinated by them and in love with them and wanting to write about them. And it, made, it has made me do a lot of thinking about the human-dog bond, which they've been with us for millennia, and uh, why wouldn't there be some evolution related to that relationship? Because the association would logically lead dogs to becoming more intelligent. That was part of the idea, and then I had to think, how would they communicate, uh, so forth, so forth, and what would the role of this dog be in this story? But at the same time, I had been wanting to write a story about a relationship between a dog and an autistic boy, because my wife and I have worked for years with Canine Companions for Independence that produces assistance dogs for people with severe disabilities. They used to do paraplegics, quadriplegics, spina bifida children exclusively, that kind of thing. But in recent years, they've produced assistance dogs for uh, children, uh, autistic children, and it's been amazing the success of this, that the child's emotional meltdowns and inflexible behavior just seem to vanish when there's this socializing dog present. And I, those two things together were almost a story, and then I was reading about transhumanism, a movement in science and technology that believes if we move DNA from certain other species into the human species, or if we combine ourselves with computers, we will create a super race. And I thought, no, what we're going to do is end up uh, destroying the whole human genome if we're not careful. So all those little elements came together and suddenly clicked into this story. The dog in the story is Kip. Uh, the boy is uh, Woody Bookman. Uh, two of the other characters, Lee Shackett and Megan Bookman, what are, what are they like? And how did you create them? Well, uh, Megan is a, a young mother, a widow, and uh, Woody is her artistic son who hasn't spoken in 11 years. And the father supposedly died in a an accident, but Woody believes he was murdered. And Woody is autistic but very intelligent and a great hacker. So he gets into the Internet, gets into the dark web, learns about this murder-for-hire operation, and they learn about him, so they're going to be coming. Uh, but I wanted more threat than that in this because I had this issue of transhumanism I wanted to explore. And Lee Shackett is the CEO of a major corporation, and they have labs in Utah, and something goes badly wrong. I'm an optimist, but I somehow always see how things can go wrong as well. 
And uh, when it goes wrong in a lab, Lee blows the lab up and goes on the run and kills everybody in it by blowing it up. And characters, for me, you, you they come alive if you give them the life of their own, if you give them free will. And I knew that Woody and the dog and the good characters could evolve in ways that I would come to love them and be able to write from their points of view. But it's always a little daunting for writing from the point of view of a sociopath like Lee Shackett. But if you give him his head and let him behave as he will behave when he's a sociopath, it's surprising you find within yourself the ability to imagine the worst human behavior possible as well as the best. My guest is number one New York Times bestselling author Dean Koontz. His new book is Devoted. You mentioned the dark web there. Uh, technology, uh, Dean, is important in your books. Text messages, GPS, more. You've been writing for decades. How has technology in no your novels and in your life surprised you and helped you tell stories over the years? Well, sometimes it gives you the story ideas. Uh, I, I did a five novels about a character named Jane Hawk, and I did them because I was reading novels in which the characters were supposedly off the grid, but I could figure out six ways to find them, uh, and I thought, no, what would it be like not just to say they're off the grid, but you had to write a book in which you had to prove they were off the grid. And what if the character was not only somebody who had to stay off the grid for whatever small reason, what if it was a character that every law enforcement agency in the country is hunting? What if it was a rogue FBI agent? And that forced me to do all kind of research that was actually pretty scary when you find out what's going on out there in terms of facial recognition or license plate scanning that most uh, police units do now and how all this data is saved. Uh, and uh, so it gave me stories there for Jane Hawk that I wouldn't have had if I wasn't trying to stay up with the latest technology uh, or in Devoted. It's that issue of transhumanism and the fact that there is a microbe called archaea that can move DNA uh, horizontally up from species to species, not from generation to generation. And I thought somebody is going to start using that in a lab in order to fiddle with the human genome. Um, so it gives you story ideas, but it also makes the publishing industry a little harder to navigate than it used to be because stuff, so much has changed so fast, and a lot of publishers are being very slow to change with it. They would still like to resuscitate the paperback business, which is now 20% of what it was 10 years ago. But I don't think it may ever come back, and they need to start thinking of ebooks as paperbacks. Uh, and that's what Amazon does, which is why I, one of the reasons I made the leap to Amazon. Dean, has technology ever kept you from telling the story you wanted to tell or forced you to tell it in a different way? No. Uh, sometimes, as I said, you, you get spooked by what you're reading and you think, uh, or what you're researching, and you think, should I? really write about that uh, is going to seem too dark and too twisted for most people. I can remember when I was uh, researching one of the Jane Hawks, I wanted a scene set in the airport in Austin. I'd never been there. So uh, I asked an assistant to uh, just go online, get me pictures at the Austin airport and uh, so that I could describe it properly, the concourse and everything about it. And I happened to be in the assistant's office when he was doing this, and 
Suddenly, his computer screen went flat gray, and a black outline of his head and shoulders showed up on the screen. And it became very apparent that he had been photographed uh, because he was researching sensitive airport details. And I thought, whoa, I would have never thought that was something that could be done that quickly and easily. Uh, so should I write about that? Um, I've always decided if it's, if it's true, you should write about it. Uh, and if it's not true, don't go there. But, uh, but no, I, you tell the stories you have to tell. We're chatting with number one New York Times bestselling author Dean Coons here on Speaking of Writers. His new book is Devoted. Dean, how long, you mentioned research there, how long does it take you typically to research and write a novel like this one? Well, you know, some of it will be things I already know, um, and uh, because we've worked with canine companions for so long, I'm very knowledgeable with autism and uh, all of that, so I don't have to research that terribly. You have to imagine the point of view and try to get inside the head of that boy and, and try to be a realistic depiction. Um, but there's other things you do have to research. and uh, But a lot of the research, you don't even know you need it until you're writing the story. I don't do outlines. So I start with characters and a premise and just go with it. And if the characters come alive, they take the story places you would have never thought of taking it. And then you get to a point where, uh-oh, I need to know about this, or I need to know about that. And you have to pause in the writing in order to start digging into the research aspect of it. But considering as a kid, I was a slacker who didn't like to do research, and I uh, made up my research sources for papers I wrote in high school and even in college, and I got away with it. Uh, but as an adult, which I eventually did become, um, I find that the research is one of the things I love the most about it, is learning something I didn't know. You mentioned that you don't use an outline, but do you have a mental checklist as far as what you want your novels to contain? Well, the checklist is a pretty simple one, and uh, it always varies book to book. Uh, I might not know how a book is going to end in many cases. In some cases, I... I will think, oh, this is how it has to end, so that comes on my checklist. There will occasionally be, when you think of what the subject of the book is, uh, you don't know what the storyline is, but nevertheless, a scene or two might occur to you that would be a lot of fun to write. So you have to put those in the hopper and say, don't forget these. The time will come when you want to find a place where this could happen. And uh, and then there is what the book is about other than story and character, and that is thematically, what does the book have to say that is of interest? And uh, and how do you let that develop naturally in this course of telling the story? So those are the, the bigger things, because uh, good fiction tends to have something else going on under the surface. Um, and uh, in this case, it's that human-dog bond and what is so special about it. And it, it is that uh, dogs cannot deceive. Dogs are are innocents and human beings are masters of deceit. And that's what would be most interesting about these two species coming together on a more intellectual plane. Dean, where did the title come from, Devoted? Uh, I'm trying to remember whether that there was a different title at first that I wasn't satisfied with. And I knew it was just a placeholder. And then uh, we were in a conversation with my publisher and editor and agents, and I uh, were 
all on the phone and talking about possible titles and people had lists and I had come up with a list of I think it was maybe three but there was one I liked more than any other it was devoted and I thought it works because the mother's devoted to the son, the son to the mother, the dog to both of them, both of them to the dog. There's all kinds of uh, aspects of devotion in in the uh, in the novel of people being committed to one another, people and dogs. But I thought it might sound a little too soft for a thriller, <laughs> and uh, so when I it was my turn to lay out titles, I was surprised when everybody immediately said that's the title, and uh, I was happy because I thought it really fit. Chatting with Dean Kuntz here on Speaking of Writers, the number one New York Times bestselling author. His book is devoted. Dean, what makes a good thriller? What are the what are the ingredients that go into it? Well, I I think I've always thought. Uh, well, not always. When I was young and stupid, and I was stupid long after I wasn't young anymore. <laughs> uh, but I, when I was young and stupid, I thought story was everything. And gradually, I came to the awareness that story is important and you want something that's compelling and you have to finish it. But at the same time, character is more important because if you don't care about those characters, if you're not sort of delighted by them to one extent or another, then it doesn't matter what happens to them, and the story doesn't matter all that much. Um, So character is, in a thriller, just as important as it is in a literary novel. And what endures in any genre seems to be related to character and uh and then you know the the bad guys have to be bad guys they i don't write about bank robbers and uh somebody who built somebody out of a little bit of money or whatever uh i write about true sociopaths and uh, uh they fascinate me a sociopath is somebody who can imitate human emotions flawlessly but actually doesn't feel them. And uh, uh, the character of Lee Shackett in this, or there's a whole bunch of sociopaths in this novel. Uh, there's a, a murder-for-hire group. Uh, so there are, have to be, you have to have a villain and, or multiple villains that people find frightening, compelling, and believable. And sociopaths fill that role for me. And however, at the same time, I don't want to glamorize evil. Uh, I don't want to glamorize a bad guy so that people say, he was cool. I want them to think the good characters are cool and the bad guys are a bunch of idiots, but dangerous idiots. And uh, uh, evil is a stupid choice because it only works, it can work in the short term. It never works in the long term. And I think that's important to me to get that kind of element in there, to have these characters be somewhat foolish, even as they're frightening. And as the late, great Elmore Leonard said, you need a great bad guy name like Lee Shackett, too, right? <laughs> yeah, bad guy names are important. Uh, uh, calling Bill Jones, it doesn't work quite the same. It has to have a certain sound to it. <laughs> Dean, what are your writing habits, and what's the best writing environment uh, for you? Are you? Do you write at a, a certain time every day? Uh, I get up at five in the morning, and I'm, uh, I did, used to be a night owl, but my wife is the opposite, so I've gravitated to that, and for many years now, I get up at five in the morning, uh, take the dog for a walk, feed the dog, cuddle the dog, and at my desk at 6.30, work straight through a little dinner. Um, I usually don't even eat lunch, and uh, 
uh, I, I love long sessions at the uh, keyboard uh, where the world of the novel becomes more real than the world outside my office door. And I just close up here. It's the most difficult thing of this because I like people. Uh, but to really do this properly, you have to seal yourself away. And so I do this six days a week. If it's at the end of a book, uh, I've been known to go seven days a week and up to 80 hours. Uh, and But mostly it's I put in a 60-hour week. And so many books for you. What is the feeling like when you finally get to that point when you finish it? It's uh, well, of course, you always think you're not going to finish it. Yeah. You know, something either you're going to fall over dead of one thing or another, or a plane's going to crash on you. Uh, and uh, and it's always that feeling increases as you get closer to the end. You think, oh, I've got ninety percent of it done. I have to finish this. How horrible to not be able to finish it. Uh, so when you get to that moment when it's done, it's it's this. It's a mix of sadness and relief because you do get to feel very cordial to it, let's say, toward your characters. They become almost real to you, and you are sad not to see them again if they're in a standalone novel. But there is great relief knowing the work is done for another day. And uh, and that's why I did these nameless six novelettes under the title Nameless for Amazon Original Stories because Instead of six months to finish, I could finish each one in two or three weeks, and it was just exciting to finish something in two or three weeks instead of six months. And uh, and they've now downloaded those, been downloaded two million times. So it's uh, it's kind of fun that people have related to the shorter work. In our remaining moments with Dean Koontz, the number one New York Times bestselling author, the book is devoted. How do you keep coming up with fresh ideas, Dean? It's. Uh, I always say to young writers, uh, a key to all of this is, yes, you may love to write whatever it is you love to write, uh, or read, rather, if you love to read a certain kind of book and you want to write that. Don't read only that. Read everything. I read in all genres. I read, uh, and literary fiction is just another genre to me. And uh, uh, just feed, well, it's like the old Jefferson airplane, the Dormouse said, feed your head. They're talking about drugs. I'm talking about uh, books, uh, other genres of stuff, other ways of thinking. Uh, And the more you do that, uh, the more you put in your head, it's a surprise that the ideas keep coming. Uh, Sometimes you know where they come from. Sometimes you don't have a clue. You can finish a whole book and still be mystified that this story came to you. But it has to do with just feeding your your brain and keeping keeping it all kinds of information coming into it. And then the ideas don't start drying up. You've got more than you can handle. I have a drawer full of ideas that I, if I ever dry up, I can go to these. There's probably 50 or 60 in there. And I'll probably never get to them because there's always new ideas coming. And speaking of new ideas, are you hard at work on another novel? And if so, can you give us a sneak peek into what it's about? I've got a novel coming in October called Elsewhere, and it's got about a father and a daughter who live in a canyon in a beach town, uh, not on the beach, but up in the canyon in a little humble house. And the mother walked out on them many years ago, seven years ago. The girl is now 11. And uh, 
uh, they don't know what happened to the mother, and so it's been sort of this quiet tragedy in their life. But they, they're deeply bonded, the father-daughter, and at the head of the canyon, in the wilds, in the woods, live a number of homeless people. And one of them is an odd homeless man. He's got a mane of white hair. He wears a sport coat and a bow tie all the time and goes into town every day to get a bath at a facility. And he stops to talk to them on the porch. And we meet him. That's background. When we meet him, he shows up on the porch one night, and he says to the father, here's a box, and it's a little gift box. Never open it. Uh, keep it for a year. If I don't come back, uh, then put it in a barrel. Fill the barrel with concrete. Take the barrel out to sea and dump it in a thousand feet of water. This thing costs seventy-six billion dollars to invent and make. And if I don't come back in a year to get it, you cannot let it fall into the hands of the wrong people because it'll be the end of everything. And now they think, oh. He's a crazy homeless type after all. But in fact, the very next day after he's given him this box, the National Security Administration seals down their street and starts looking for this homeless man in the woods and anyone he may have had contact with. And that's sort of chapter one and two. And then we're off to the races after that. There is one great sneak peek from Dean Koontz on the next (laughs) book coming in the fall. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me there. You take care. You too. The book out now from Dean Koontz is devoted. You can connect online with Dean Koontz uh, too. Uh, the website is deankoontz, K-O-O-N-T-Z.com. And that is Speaking of Writers in Capital Region Sunday, a production of Town Square Media Albany for this week. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition. I'm Steve Richards.